Hello, this is Beth Chase and welcome to Wellness Wednesday with 3W. I have today in the studio Dr. Susan Rutherford, who is the president and the medical director of 3W Medical for Women. And we're going to be talking today about a very important subject and very uh, relevant as far as some of the issues that we're dealing with now, and that has to do with the uh, COVID-19 and pregnancies. So welcome, Dr. Rutherford. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Beth. So glad to be here. So glad to have you here. Okay, uh, let's start out first with a little bit more introduction about what your background, your medical background is. Uh, and uh, your, and how you got involved with 3W. So um, I specialized in OBGYN, and then after a short stint, decided that I really liked the pregnancy aspects of that care, and then went into a subspecialty called maternal fetal medicine. So I spent most of my career taking care of women who had uh, concerns about possible pregnancy complications, and especially acting as a consultant to OBGYNs whose patients uh, had some unusual problems or might be threatened with unusual problems. Um, I particularly enjoyed helping when there were twins and triplets and doing a lot of ultrasound. That was my favorite. Yes. Well, you certainly have, uh, how many years were you doing that? Gosh. <laughs> oh, now, now we're getting personal, right? That's right. <laughs> that is right. I'm, I'm thinking now. So I graduated from medical school in 1978. Okay. So right. it takes okay. four years of residency and then um, uh, some practice for three years and then a couple years of the fellowship training. So ah, awesome. since then. Yes. yes. Well, here yeah. we go. And uh, so you're having lots of fun at 3W. Uh, so let's talk now about the COVID-19 and the risks associated with the pregnant women. So what would you, what would you tell us about these risks? Well, first of all, there's no uh, evidence that there's any difference in risk of getting the virus if you're pregnant. Um, there's uh, no evidence that the risk of severe illness is very much greater, but there is still very limited data. That's been the problem with this whole pandemic is the lack of adequate data to know what steps to take. Um, the, uh, uh, we know that with pregnant women who have the flu, that they are much, at much greater risk of getting very sick, uh, requiring the intensive care, or even a, a risk of death if they get the flu. So by the way, get your flu vaccine, <laughs> if you're, especially if you're pregnant. Um, we also know that there is some increased risk of being really sick with the other COVID coronaviruses like SARS and MERS. Okay. Well, hey, I have a question. When you talk about get your vaccine, can they get the flu vaccine while they're pregnant? Absolutely. Okay. Is there a cutoff time like it needs to be done in the first trimester, second no. trimester, or just no. get it? There's no risk uh, to the baby of uh, the flu vaccine. There's no risk of the baby getting sick from it or having birth defects or of any pregnancy complications. So it doesn't matter uh, when it is in pregnancy. If it's getting towards flu season, get your flu shot at the appropriate time. Mm -hmm. Okay, good advice from a doctor there. So um, what about the baby? Does the COVID-19 impact the baby's health or development at all? Well, so far there isn't any evidence that um, there's transmission of the virus to the baby in the uterus, uh, but it's based on very limited data. There's been one study published of six women 
where they looked at the amniotic fluid and the umbilical cord blood of the baby after the baby was born, and they tested negative. Those are usually good signs of whether or not baby has a virus is if it's also present in the uh, amniotic fluid, which the babies largely make. So it's like, it's like a barrier? So there is, a, there is a, a placental barrier to the maternal uh -huh. blood. So maternal blood doesn't actually get into the baby. Things have to cross through a cellular and membrane layer to get to the baby. And so many things that women have, even medications, for example, there's this placental barrier. Okay, and the placental barrier, you know, as someone who both of us believe in the uh, value of life in the womb, outside of the womb, uh, one of the questions that oftentimes comes up is that they will say that the baby is my body, that it is, uh, and I can make those decisions based upon my body, and yet, what are, what are your thoughts on that? No, the baby's a separate individual, uh, a separate person, and um, they, they are dependent on the mother. So you think of the plant world, you think of um, uh, the mistletoe that grows on trees. It's, it's kind of um, a, uh, you know, it depends on that tree where it grows, but it's not part of the tree. And in a similar way, the baby depends on the oxygen, nutrition from the mother, the removal of waste substances, all sorts of things while they're inside, but they are not the mother. Mm -hmm. So, by the way, they have found some newborns that have COVID, but, um, and they've tested positive, but they're not sure if the infection was transmitted before birth or right after birth. Hmm. Interesting. So can the virus cause pregnancy complications? Again, there's very limited data, um, but so far it appears that like other viral respiratory illnesses, the SARS, flu, etc., there isn't an increased risk for miscarriage or birth defects. There may be some preterm birth, but it might be induced because a woman is so sick. Um, you may have heard on the news recently about a woman in Vancouver, Washington, who was uh, on a ventilator and in the ICU, and uh, at 33 weeks, her obstetrician decided, you know, this woman could die, and by uh, delivering the baby, it actually improved the cardiovascular respiratory status of the mother, so it was necessary to induce her labor, and this this OBGYN, who I happen to know, <laughs> spent 14 uh -huh. hours basically living in the ICU with this patient while they induced labor successfully, and both mother and baby are doing well, fortunately. Awesome. That's wonderful news. All right. So does the unborn baby need any special attention if the mother has COVID-19? So again, with the sort of the risks in pregnancy, the only thing is if the mother gets really, really sick then just like any medical complication in pregnancy, if the mother's ability to carry oxygen in her bloodstream and deliver it to the placenta and thus to the baby uh, is compromised, um, in other words, the blood flow, blood pressure, oxygen concentration, all those things, if those are compromised, then the baby's at risk. And there's a lot of extra monitoring we do for women who have pregnancy complications such, such that the baby is potentially at risk, particularly in the third trimester. Before the chance of the baby surviving outside the uterus, surviving born, um, there really isn't much purpose to it because there isn't much you can do. 
Um, the exception is a few treatable uh, situations. You may have heard of fifth disease or parvovirus. It runs rampant in preschools, and sometimes pregnant women get that, and their baby can get very sick. Those babies become anemic, and they can be treated with a, actually a transfusion into their direct bloodstream, not the mother's, while they're inside. But that hasn't been seen with uh, the COVID virus or these other similar respiratory types of viruses. Um, so once the, but if the mother's very sick and the potential delivery of oxygen and nutrition to the baby is compromised, then you start monitoring the baby, particularly their heart rate, their activity of movement, the amount of amniotic fluid they produce. Um, all of that gets monitored to see if the baby is having to um, sort of uh, protect itself by decreasing its physiologic um, demands. Say it, it stops moving as much. Um, then we can get really concerned. And if they're far enough along that the baby could be delivered, that might be a strong enough indication to go ahead and deliver the baby for the purposes of helping the baby. But other than that, um, the, uh, you know, the unborn baby doesn't really need any special attention. If the mother got COVID early in pregnancy and recovered, basically the, the latter part of pregnancy is routine. Um, if it's close to delivery, they're just hoping that the mother's well enough that she doesn't give a, a COVID-free baby the virus uh, directly right after birth. Mm -hmm. So does the unborn baby need any special attention? No, just, just the uh, extra monitoring in the case of a, a thought that the mother's system is so compromised uh -huh. as to impair the, okay. the, the delivery of appropriate nutrition to the baby, etc. Mm -hmm. So what about newborns and breastfeeding? Is there a concern there? Um, so there is a, a discussion that maybe it should be offered to the mother that they be separated. However, in most situations, babies benefit very strongly from the breastfeeding and uh, both the presence with the mother and the actual milk. And it's hmm. because there's no evidence yet of the virus being in the milk, uh, it's important for the baby to breastfeed. It's suggesting that the mother should wear a mask and do good hand hygiene and all of that sort of thing, you know, before and after. But we should probably all be doing that anyway. Um, but uh, the breastfeeding, I think, personally, I would still be very much in favor of doing the breastfeeding and keeping the mother and the baby together. Um, there just isn't much evidence. And so far, there's not much evidence that the babies will really suffer from the COVID virus uh, and have a high death rate. Secondly is if the mother's starting to make antibodies, those antibodies can still uh, get to the baby both before birth and during breastfeeding. So. I would say mostly, even though the professional societies are kind of being wishy-washy on it, I would say I would breastfeed and I would pump the milk and give the baby pumped breast milk and just, you know, emphasize the benefits of breast milk. It's, there's almost no situations, rarely like hepatitis C maybe, where women shouldn't breastfeed. Hmm, interesting. Well, what about the routine prenatal care while, you know, so many of the COVID restrictions are in place? Yes, there's uh, been a lot of challenges um, because of the recommendations to avoid routine care. Well, the question is, is prenatal care routine or necessary? I mean, 
uh, time goes by and you can't go backwards. Mm -hmm. So things that need to be done during pregnancy, ultrasound exams, monitoring the growth of the baby, um, all those sorts of things, looking for potential complications, those things should not be put off because it's a very important um, concept of taking care of pregnant women that you proactively look for possible problems. You're watching out for early signs of development of something that could adversely affect the mother or the baby. And this, uh, for my mind, is the reason that the prenatal checks continue. Now, how do you do those prenatal checks and can you do some of them partially remotely? For instance, could mothers have their own blood pressure uh, cuffs at home. Many of ours, with, particularly if people have hypertension, they have their own. So why not get your blood pressure and your weight? You could even send somebody home with some urine dipsticks, um, which is part of the routine care. What's harder to do is to measure the tummy or watch the baby's growth, but there's some good studies, uh, one from several decades ago out of Scotland, that show that you don't actually need to do that that often. Finally, though, uh, in the third trimester, fetal movement's really important. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as good a barometer of fetal well-being as anything else. Sometimes placental location, baby's position, just mother's ability to feel something um, is not as good in some pregnancies as it is in others. But when it, it is something that's clear to the mother, uh, then that's an extremely useful uh, monitoring technique, is having the mother monitor the fetal movements because they may be the best first detector of um, a change in the baby's condition. Mm -hmm. And that can be done at home, should be done at home. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Mm -hmm. Rutherford, if I were to come to 3W, uh, have a pregnancy test, and a uh, positive pregnancy test, and then you perform an ultrasound and determine that indeed I have a viable pregnancy, what would you say to me? I'm sitting there on the table, yes. I'm pregnant, I'm scared because I'm so worried about this whole COVID-19 thing, right. and, and, I, and, and I have people saying, well, maybe you shouldn't even carry this baby to term yeah. because of the, the dangers associated with this. What would you say well, to just me? Well, like, just like the young woman this morning, there's really no reason to, uh, to consider that this pregnancy shouldn't go ahead as planned. Um, the... Uh, uh, the, some of the most important information pertains, for later in pregnancy, pertains to what is the gestational age. And the best time to establish the gestational age is early, basically in the first trimester. Those are going to be the most accurate ultrasound measurements, and you combine that information with the patient's menstrual history, and that's when you choose the due date. Measurements later on, when babies come in a greater variety of sizes and shapes, um, it's less precise to measure a fetal baby, you know, a part like the head or the, the thigh bone and uh, decide what the due date is. It's just, it's not, it's not very accurate at all in the third trimester because babies, some babies are big and some babies are little. <laughs> yes. But at the very early time, we're all about the same size. Mm -hmm. So you can use that size and say, okay, this is your due date. So early pregnancy establishing the due date is, is really important. There's a lot that can be basically just left alone uh, without much in the way of prenatal visits. Maybe go in for the labs. You could have discussions about risk factors, genetic issues or concerns that women might have. Those can all be carried on even by, say, telehealth or remotely or in the class. Um, uh, Zoom, maybe. <laughs> so um, that a lot of that can be done. The first half of pregnancy can be done virtually remotely. The challenge is, is that then women can't tell 
uh, is the baby still okay? And it's nice to go in and have the fetal heartbeat checked. So we uh, don't provide full-on continuous OB care. We don't do deliveries, but we get people started. We've also done some interim visits. Uh, we had one young woman who uh, was unable to get seen because of the COVID vi uh, virus uh, until later, and she was going through this gap and said, I just want to make sure my baby's still alive. How do I know? Well, you know, probably the baby's fine, but you, you don't always know. So she came in, and we did a quick ultrasound. Sure enough, there was the heart beating away, and, you know, so we, we do that because I think patient reassurance is a, is a reason with precautions, wearing masks, good hand hygiene, cleaning all the equipment extremely carefully before and after, all of that, it's very reasonable to um, have women get prenatal checks of some sort. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Rutherford, when would you say is the ideal time that you would want to see uh, a woman if uh, she was thinking that perhaps she was pregnant? So, uh, it doesn't help to see anybody bef much before six weeks. I've occasionally been able to see a heartbeat at like five weeks, five days. These are menstrual weeks, so that's the number of weeks and days since the first day of the last menstrual period. And of course, people's periods are of different lengths, so sometimes if they have five-week cycles instead of four-week cycles, you can basically push everything out a week. Um, but uh, at six weeks, we can usually see the embryo, see the heart beating, uh, and see, get some good clues as to whether or not things are on track. Um, that's a very accurate time to measure the baby. The baby's usually about five, six millimeters at that point. So pretty tiny. Um, at five and a half, or let's see, five weeks, five days, it's probably one and a half to two millimeters. So it's pretty amazing to see a heartbeat when the baby's, the baby itself is only two millimeters big. Um, but anyway, so the early one is good, but not too early. Um, I'd say, you know, it, it'd be nice to be seen before 10 weeks um, to, for the dating. Eight weeks is great, anywhere. From 10 weeks, it's still pretty good. 10 weeks and to 12 weeks, you're beginning to get into the timing when a lot of people will start doing some genetic testing, too. So it's good to get in early because then you can be aware of when should you be seeing your OBGYN who's going to do all this variety of testing, the whole panel, all your labs and everything, really get things started. It's nice to have that done before the end of the first trimester. Mm -hmm. So if I thought that perhaps I was pregnant, I'd missed my period, and I really felt like I needed to come in for a pregnancy test, and I gave 3W a phone call, uh, would there be any kind of screening up front? So um, what we do is we ask for the last menstrual period date and then do a rough calculation as to how far along they'd be and recommend coming in at between six and seven weeks or whenever they want to. Mm -hmm. You know, the difference at, at six weeks you see, uh, you know, if a baby's only say five millimeters, you see uh, like an extra big grain of rice, you know, <laughs> uh, with a heartbeat in it. By the time you get to eight weeks, you're actually seeing arms and legs and a head. So that's in only two weeks. The baby's growing about mm -hmm. a millimeter a day. Mm -hmm. And um, so some women come in and they really want to see more. So we'll say, we'll go ahead and come back in two weeks. Or women that, uh, you know, a lot of times at six weeks we have to do a vaginal ultrasound in order to get a clear enough picture, to get close enough mm -hmm. to the actual embryo to see clearly the structures. 
Um, but by eight weeks, frequently, we can do a, just a transabdominal ultrasound. So a few women, the, the ultrasound probe is not uncomfortable, but they still rather not have a vaginal ultrasound. So we say, well, why don't you come in at like eight weeks? Mm -hmm. okay. So that, that's how they'll be scheduled. Uh -huh. And that can, if, so our receptionist doesn't get into all that detail. Mm -hmm. She gets the basic information about when they want to come in, what their dates are, and they, they make a start. But if they have questions about when's the best time, what mm -hmm. am I really going to see, then that phone call gets passed on um, to one of our clinical staff who can answer with more detail and help them decide when they do want to come in. Mm -hmm. So I, I find that so comforting for you to be able to explain about the, the risks, some of the misinformation out there about COVID-19 and being pregnant, and kind of what any woman would experience when they pick up the phone, make an appointment, or even just walk in. No, are you doing walk-ins? Well, we, we are if we have the space. We prefer appointments. Okay. Um, and we have uh, limited our hours because of um, the COVID virus. Mm -hmm. um, we also have lower volumes just because everybody's staying at home more. Um, mm -hmm. So for that reason, we don't want to just sit around waiting. For, or I don't. Let me be more specific. I don't want to just sit around waiting <laughs> with no appointments. Right. So we've kind of funneled them into mainly, mm -hmm. two, mainly two days a week, though. We're looking at expanding that again mm -hmm. pretty quickly as things start to open up. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, it's not a, it, you know, so hopefully that mm -hmm. will agree with their schedule. Yes, yes. Well, most of the time it does, it seems like. Well, okay, it's time to draw this uh, episode of Wellness Wednesday to a close. Thank you, Dr. Rutherford. Thank you. For sharing. So good to have And you'll be here often. You're going to be hearing a lot from Dr. Rutherford about various topics of interest for women who are in their reproductive years, particularly. And uh, so I want to thank all of you, the listening audience out there, for listening. And if you want to learn uh, or find more information about 3W, you can go to our website at 3wmedical.org. That's 3wmedical.org. And while you're there, if you want to check out a little bit more information also about Wellness Wednesday, just go to the top of the page and, and um, click on the tab that says Wellness Wednesday. And while on that page, if you would like to sign up for our monthly e-blast that is specifically talking about the things that uh, that uh, Dr. Rutherford has talked about and other topics that we have here, please sign up for that. We'd love to get you on, on that uh, email list for that particular monthly e-blast. Uh, so until next time, we will say be well, 